It's the criterion. It's the criterion. 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 N. 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 Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Criterion Project. And this is the show where we like to talk about what's playing on the Criterion channel and other fun stuff that we've been watching. And we have a great time. And I'm film critic Rachel Wagner. And Conrado is here. Yes, he is. How you doing, Rachel? I'm doing pretty good. I've been super busy because I've been getting ready for my big trip that I'm taking. I'm mm. going to out to Los Angeles uh, for a 10-day trip. So it's going to be uh, very fun. Oh, wow. The city of stars, yes, city of angels. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're going to see Rachel dancing on the hood of her car and tapping, <laughs> tap dancing with Ryan Gosling soon. Pretty much. Yeah. Hollywood <laughs> sign. Here I come. So it's going to be good. <laughs> but I'm going for Christmas con. Uh, oh, Christmas yes. con. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that like a Hallmark related um, venture? Yeah, I think it's not officially Hallmark, but I think that they like there. It's basically yeah, Hallmark. Like all the Hallmark stars, actors are there, and um, they have panels and photo ops and stuff like that. Wow, that's fantastic! You'll have <laughs> yeah. a great time there. I'm super excited. It'll be it'll be good, and it'll be really fun because I get to meet. Uh, some of my co-hosts and friends from the podcast that I haven't met uh, mm. for the first time. So that'll be fun. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's kind of perfect timing because it's actually our five-year anniversary of the podcast, of Hallmarkies podcast. Yeah. So oh, yeah, that's time great to, timing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I Christmas wonder if there will, there will ever be a Criterion Con where we can go and, you know, <laughs> see how we fit in over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like it wouldn't be that different from the movie we're talking about today, Metropolitan, <laughs> all the pedantic, you know, discussions and all that. Uh, I feel like that would be Criterion Con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, we always like to start out talking about what we've been watching. Do you have anything that you have seen lately that you've enjoyed? I do. I have a couple of things, actually. Um, I, after our last episode, which was about Senso by Lucchino Visconti, I watched one of the movies that we mentioned on that on that episode that is also by him called um, Rocco and His Brothers, which uh, we mentioned with Manish. Um, and it's this kind of like, it's a different kind of movie in some ways. It's a contemporary, it's not a period movie, made, but it is made in 1960. So it's, you know, contemporary to that time. And it is a kind of like a melodrama about a family, a Southern Italian family who comes up to the North looking for work. Um, it's a mother and her five uh, children. And, you know, they have a very difficult time adjusting and trying to make ends meet and trying to survive in the big city. So, you know, it has that kind of like neorealist social drama to it. But very much like Senso, it is told in a very kind of like grand and operatic um, style. So it was actually pretty cool to see Visconti use kind of like the grandeur that he was using in the period aristocratic setting, but this time kind of with a working class family, um, you know, brothers who fall in love with the same woman and then they have to like you know they are boxers and then they have like you know the boxing matches and stuff so it was a pretty it was a pretty great movie um and i liked it a lot it is very intense and it's and 
In particular, there's a character, the main female character in the movie um, is the woman that the brothers uh, fall in love with who is also a prostitute. And her name is, the character name is Nadia. She's played by the actor Annie Girardot, who's really great, gives a really great performance. But the only thing, something that I was left thinking about the movie was the way that her story comes to an end and, and how the movie ends was a little bit, I w- I've been thinking about that a lot. I, if there's anyone listening who's seen the movie and has thoughts about that, I would love to hear from you. So reach out if you have uh, you know thoughts about that character and, and how the movie treats her, especially towards the last couple of scenes. Cool. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but it sounds like it's got the melodrama. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very great movie. Um, it's it's long. It's like three hours, but it's definitely worth your time. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to mention because I had a great time was yesterday I went to the to the movie theater to see a restoration of a movie called The Bad Woman, which is oh. a Mexican movie from 1968, which is basically you know comes right after the Batman TV series was really popular, and it's basically a cash in. So it's kind of like this this bad woman is down in Acapulco solving a mystery. And she's also a luchadora, you know, because it's like a Mexican movie. So it's a lucha libre movie. Uh, and it's very colorful, very fun. Um, and the people, the, the woman who is in charge of the restoration, and I can't remember her name right now, but um, she was there and she talked a lot about like trying to restore all these popular Mexican movies that, you know, a lot of people didn't really care too much about preserving um, and they're and they're putting them out. So, um, you know, a lot of Santo movies, definitely a lot of Lucha Libre movies, and this Batwoman movie, which is pretty pretty crazy in its own right. She fights a sea monster. It's pretty it's pretty cool, and it's pretty you know has that groovy Batman '60s m- music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, if anyone is into that kind of thing, I also recommend that. Cool. I haven't heard of that one. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I've been very busy, but I definitely wanted to make sure to give a shout out to uh, my favorite movie of 2022 that y'all should go see is Marcel the Shell with shoes on. (laughs) Absolutely love this movie. I thought it was so endearing and sweet. And I kind of hate to even describe it because I make it sound more saccharine and... uh, than it is. It is very sweet, but it's also, I think, emotionally true and uh, and uh, endearing. You're just endeared to the character. It's so well done, and uh, it made me tear up. I mean, I'm an easy cry, mm. but it got me emotionally, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I just loved it so much. It's about this little shell creature that uh, loses his family, and uh, they're this uh the house that he's staying at this documentarian ends up moving in he's the director of the actual movie plus he's a character in he's plays a director in the movie mm-hmm. uh, and uh and they start on this kind of journey to find his family uh, and i don't know i just loved it i thought it was yes. so good yeah, um, my wife loves Marcel Duchel, the especially, you know, the shorts that put, were put on YouTube that, you know, mm-hmm. about 10 years ago, I guess. They're yeah. pretty old, but the movie just came out this year. She will love um, it. No, she, we went to see it. Of course oh, we went did? because oh, she loves okay. it so much that we all went, well, the two of us went to see it and um, and we had a great time. She had a great time. She absolutely loved it just like you. You know that I am maybe a little bit more 
um, immune to like, you know, that kind of like you were talking about this stuff that could be felt as like a little too cute, a little too saccharine and stuff. But I also had a pretty great time and I thought the voice acting was pretty um, was pretty stellar. Jenny Slade, who plays Marcel, but also Isabella Rosalini, yes. who plays his um, his, his grandma, I think. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and she's yes. from the uh, the garage. That's why she has an accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a fun movie. I have, yeah, it was I maybe loved it right at the border where at some points it was a little too much for me, and some parts were like perfectly calibrated. So I do think that you know, people listening, you know yourself, and you know, kind of like if you feel like you won't tolerate it, then you probably won't. But if you feel like you might, I think it's worth a shot. I think you yeah. will like it yeah. probably. Uh, so that that was a big win. I also, as far as Criterion, I watched uh, Victor Victoria for the first time. Oh, um, I just watched it recently too. Wow, uh, we're in yeah. sync. <laughs> they have a Blake Edwards collection uh, right now, and of course, he did Breakfast at Tiffany's, which I, you know, I love, and uh, and then this. And I, for some reason, I had never seen it, even though I love musicals and love Julie Andrews and love Blake Edwards. Uh, so, but I, I maybe because of the R rating, I for whatever reason, I just had never got around to seeing it and Mm -hmm. uh, it's really really good i loved Mm -hmm. the songs i loved her performance julie andrew's performance robert preston is great in it Mm -hmm. um it's uh it's interesting as far as the story and kind of what it's trying to say and about class and gender and uh so many other things um i just i really enjoyed it i thought it was it was a fun fun watch yeah, I was surprised by, I also liked it a lot. Um, and I was surprised by how kind of funny and silly it is at, at many points. It really is mm-hmm. very farcical. And there is a lot of like very funny moments that are a little bit like, you know, unexpected. I thought because, you know, I thought it was a more of a prestige movie than it actually was. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it is very prestige. It's very expensive. The sets are beautiful and the costumes are incredible. Um, and he got a bunch of Oscar nominations, but it is also very silly. Like that uh, inspector that comes in late in the movie to investigate the scenes with him are com- like a silent comedy almost. It's yeah. like, it's, and and every and I also love that. <laughs> I love that in this movie, there's just this idea that anytime if someone's at a restaurant or a bar, there will be a fight. Like no matter what happens, a, far, yeah. a fight will start and everyone well, and in the like bar will start fighting each whole, other. Yeah. Yeah. They like destroy the whole restaurant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing left. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, if people haven't seen that, I would say give it, give it a shot. It's, it's, it's a, it's a good one. The script is very good with the, with the witty banter. Like I said, it mm-hmm, comments mm-hmm. on a lot of things uh, that, uh, I mean, for its time, it must have been quite, for 1982, must have been uh, a pretty, I'm not, not shocking, but mm-hmm. uh, a um, progressive film. Yeah, it's interesting. because I guess we didn't really uh, describe it too much, but Julie Andrews plays a, a singer who can't get a job, so she decides to pretend that she's a man dressed up as a woman so she pretends to be a drag queen basically in order Mm -hmm. to get a job and that's very interesting because then you know uh, there's this whole gender bending element to it that's very cool Mm -hmm. yeah so all right well we are talking about Tillman's film metropolitan today for our main film and uh, is this a film you had you had seen before I had not. I have seen 
definitely other Whit Stillman movies. Um, this is one of the few that I hadn't seen before. He hasn't okay. made that many, but I do love, uh, I think we both love Love and Friendship that he did the more straight up Jane Austen adaptation. And I also love The Last Days of Disco, which is another movie of his. Yeah, I need to see that, The Last Days of Disco. But yeah, that was my introduction to Whit Stillman was Love and Friendship. And I really thought it was funny and witty. And there's a bite to it that, you typically don't see with Jane Austen mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's, I don't understand why they called it love and friendship because it's actually not based on the novella love and friendship. It's based on the, the novella lady Susan. I don't mm. know for some reason they just thought, I guess love and friendship was a better name than yeah. um, lady so that's like some marketing thing, you know, yeah. like marketing department deciding lady Susan is not <laughs> going to sell somehow. Yeah. But uh, but uh, it's a very sarcastic kind of rude character for uh, for Jane Austen. I mean, she she uh, is smarter than everybody that's around her. So she she knows she she can kind of get away with everything that she's doing and the way she's treating people. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's just kind of surprising when you think of the typical Regency uh, read is in the mm. typical Jane Austen. Uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, and so it, I, I found it for refreshing for that reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved it too. Mm-hmm. So with Metropolitan, it's more of an homage to uh, Mansfield park. It's, I mean, the plot really isn't Mansfield park, but it's, it is in the sense of in Mansfield park, you have this whole group of young people that are bored and hanging Mm. around and they decide to put on this play and the play is evidently quite racy, quite shocking. And, Mm. uh, and the lead Fanny is horrified that they're doing this. She disagrees with it from the beginning, but, uh, but they all carry on and keep doing it. And even uh, getting, Edmund involved who is going to he's studying to become a uh, he's going to become a, a pastor mm. and and uh, so she's horrified by that that he's participating in this I guess scandalous <laughs> play uh, and they they have various discussions and banter about the play and about uh, rules of society and different things like that. And so in that sense, it's kind of a, you see that here as well. Like they're not putting out a play, but they're kind of bored, hanging around rich uh, uh, urbanites mm-hmm. in uh, this movie. Yeah. I was yeah. wondering how much it, it resembled Mansfield Park because you told had told me before mm-hmm. when we first talked about doing this movie that it was a bit of a homage or something. Uh, and they talk about the book in the movie, which is yes. a very funny part also when he, the main character starts talking about Mansfield Park and starts criticizing it, the main guy, Tom, and then Audrey, who's talking with him, is like, you know, she loves Mansfield Park and they're going back and forth. And then he reveals that he hasn't actually read the, the book. Yes. And he's like, well, of course I haven't read it. And she's you haven't read it. He's like, no, I only read the criticism. You know, that way I get both the author's ideas and the critic's ideas. <laughs> Yes, which is a very, very telling part part of this of the script and Tom's personality. How he 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 is more interested in learning what critics and academics think about something than reading it himself and deciding mm-hmm. what he thinks about it, which is very interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Well, right. Of course, this whole group of people, um, it's all about having opinions and ideas and not so much about experiencing a lot of, yeah. of, of the stuff, you know, I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the summary for this movie is the a radical student is adopted by a group of young New Yorkers. It serves as a catalyst to alter his and their lives. Gathering in a Manhattan apartment, the group of friends meet to discuss social mobility, uh, socialism, and play bridge in their cocoon of upper class society until they are joined by a man with a critical view of their way of life. So uh, overall... Yeah. Overall, uh -huh. what did you think of this movie? Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I am a little bit hung up right now on that description, which is kind of accurate, but also not quite accurate of the movie. I feel like the outsider that they're talking about, you know, is Tom, who just the fact that the description begins saying a radical student, I think it's pretty clear pretty quickly that he's not as radical as all that. You know, we first mm -hmm. meet him and he's kind of like, is critical of the debutante balls. And he's like, I don't know if I'm going to go to another one. I won't come back here. But then he ends up very easily and very quickly fitting in with this group, you know, and, and hanging out with them all the time. And he is also, um, he is kind of a part of that, that, that group, even though of course he doesn't have quite as much money as the rest of them, but um, he's an outsider and an insider at the same time. So I guess that's, that's right. Um, but anyway, we can get more into it yeah. later. I, I did enjoy the movie uh, quite mean, a bit. Yeah, because you have Tom coming in as this socialist and him kind of critiquing the group, but also kind of needing the group. And he falls for uh, mm -hmm. you know one of the people in the group. So he's not as much a he's not as elevated as he thinks he is at the beginning. Uh, yeah because yeah he's, he's right. kind of like well I, he, his attitude is kind of like well they're doing it so i might as well have it's almost like a it's a free meal might as well go kind of attitude is his is his excuse yeah he's also like a bit adjacent to that world right because we learned that he had been in a relationship in high school with one of the girls that is adjacent to the group or a very popular girl in that environment that he's still kind of hung up on and we also learned that his dad had a, had an inheritance and money that, you know, but then he separated his mom and he's been cut off from the inheritance. And so now it's I get the feeling that now he doesn't have as much money as, as they used to when he lives with his mother, you mm -hmm. know, on the other side of the park. He lives on the west side and, and all of these rich people live, live on the east side of Manhattan. And now, you know, so he's. Yeah. And they make kind of clear to point out the fact that he doesn't have a proper coat. Uh, yeah, because he rents his tuxedo. Yeah, yeah he doesn't own mm -hmm. it, and uh, he just has the um like raincoat on. He doesn't have like a oh yeah, a and everyone's thicker... telling him, "Aren't you cold with that?" And he's like, <laughs> "No, no, it has a lining." <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I think that's definitely true. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I I said I said to this in our text message. I think Tom, in a way, reminds me a little bit of you. Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of that. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like I was I was read by Rachel, and that it was totally like you know, um, Be because yeah. he's a socialist, but he's super affable and sweet. But he's also <laughs> kind of uh, a little bit of a little bit of cynicism in there, but a but a nice guy in the end. I don't know, just sort of that mixture of mm. of everything with Tom. Kind of, I feel like. 
Yeah, it's, well, I'm definitely yeah. happy that it was Tom that reminded you of me and not some of the other <laughs> guys Nick. in the movie. Not Nick, who I have to say, he was my favorite character, even though he was also the most obnoxious one mm-hmm. of all of them. And he's played by Chris Eichmann, I think yeah. is how you pronounce his name, who's a, kind of like a recurring Whit Stillman actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is very funny. He has a lot of funny things to say. And he's obviously the yeah. most obnoxious one of the group, but also the kind of the you know the more cutting one and then the yeah. other guy i also thought it was very funny uh charlie who's the guy with the glasses who is who has these theories about like how the upper class is gonna yeah. like go down and he's so neurotic about it you know and he's so convinced that that the which i thought was also very funny because i feel like this does happen with the upper classes of like wanting to feel like you are threatened or like feeling threatened even regardless of whether you are or not there's this paranoia that they're going to lose their status at any moment you know and he really represents that and i love that when he talks about the movie street charm of the bourgeoisie when he says like oh i read the the title and i thought finally someone's going to talk about how great the bourgeoisie is (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then he's very disappointed (laughs) yeah uh yeah i think nick is kind of the uh the keeps everybody honest in a way because he uh he's just he's very honest about uh he doesn't try to make excuses about his sort of bourgeois life mm-hmm. you know he's just like i i'm gonna i know i need to marry a rich woman and i'm that's the plan <laughs> yeah and he's like that and you know one of the things that i really like about wood stillman is that he um is very funny you know he writes very funny dialogue it's very mm-hmm. um stylized right it's not supernaturalistic to the way people actually talk like it some some of the things these people say sounds like you're reading like something dialogue off of a book or something you know how like book dialogue can be a little less naturalistic than than what we expect from movies and tv shows and it feels like they're reading off of of a book um but but it's also very funny and very clever because i think he has all these nudie these characters have all these nudie attitudes and all these pretensions like you were saying before you know very snobby but at the same time they're all young and they're kind of like dumb and they don't fully understand the world yet you know these are all like you know just out of their teenage years i would say probably in terms of age and you can tell that they haven't learned that much about the world yet, but but mm-hmm. they act like they are the smartest people in the world. And that um, <laughs> reminds me a little bit of yeah, when I was that age, I have to admit, and <laughs> my group of friends back then. Yeah, they, they call it the the UHB or the Urban Haute Bourgeois, Bourgeoisie. Right. And uh, I did like the, I think it's Charlie who says that wouldn't it be better to pronounce it UB? The fact that it sounds ridiculous <laughs> is part of the appeal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very clever dialogue. And I also love the, you know, when Nick, Nick has this rival, um, what's his name, Von, Von Doniker or something, who he starts talking about like how terrible he is to other women, but then You're he's kind of like, yeah, Rick von Sloniker, and he makes up this story about this girl, you know, who who like committed suicide because it was so horrible. And then people discovered this girl didn't exist, and he was like, "Well, she's she, is she a real girl? Is this true?" And he's like, "Well, she's a composite, you know, like a New York magazine," <laughs> which I also thought was I don't know. There's like these lines of dialogue that are really funny, and this, um, and also these complications, you know, like there's some talk with between the people about is this a good person or is he a bad person. Um, and I think ultimately with Stillman, 
because he comes from a similar background, he understands the deficiencies of of that, you know, and the, and the kind of annoying bad things about that um, lifestyle. But he also has a fondness for those people, and I think that might rub some people the wrong way. But I find mm-hmm. it kind of pretty funny and endearing in in its own way. Yeah, yeah. I I think he doesn't make excuses for the characters, but he just says these that these are the characters. You know, this is how they behaved. And uh, can we kind of gain something from it? Can we be amused by it? Can mm-hmm. we? Uh, and uh, so I appreciate that as well. There's a, you know, a lot of fun sections. And you mentioned the kind of commentary on Mansfield Park. Uh, mm-hmm. the Tom is talking to Audrey because Tom at first is really interested in Serena, mm-hmm. um, who is kind of the, uh, um, uh, what would you call her? The I mean, she's just everybody. Everybody is. Uh, she's like the Shitsa goddess of this uh, this group. Everybody loves her. Everyone's falling. All the men fall in love with her, and um, and so he, including Tom, and uh, so he's talking to Audrey, who of course, of course starts to fall in love with Tom, and mm-hmm. uh, and he says that. She says, well, Mansfield Park is one of my favorite books. Mansfield Park, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) And Audrey says, no, but it's a notoriously bad book. Even Lionel Trilling, one of her greatest admirers, thought that. And then she says, if he thought that, then he's an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is true. And and that is true, that uh, that there's there's this whole commentator of Jane Austen um, after her, um, when her books kind of got a resurgence, I forget when exactly the time was, but anyway, this Lionel, um, Lionel Trilling, uh, was critical of Mansfield Park, but I just finished reading it because, uh, yesterday, I mean, I had read it many times before, but again, I read it, finished reading it yesterday and every time I read it, I enjoy it more. It's a little mm-hmm. bit hard because you kind of have to get over the fact that, she basically marries her first cousin, which is sure. a little weird, <laughs> you know? And so you just have to kind of <laughs> get over that mm-hmm. um, because she's actually the lead character. Fanny is actually a very interesting character because uh, she basically goes to live with her uh, aunt and uncle to grow up with them because her, her mom married poor and uh, there's, there's a ton of kids, eight, nine kids, whatever. And, uh, and they just can't take care of them all. And so they mm. kind of ship one off to the end knuckle and that's Fanny. And, uh, and so, yeah, she, she not only marries her first cousin, but she also marries the first cousin that she literally grew up with from the time. Oh, she kind of marries her brother, which is weird, but so yeah, go ahead. But if you, if you can kind of put that aside, the actual story and her character, Fanny's character is very, interesting because she even though she comes from this poor background she's she was raised in this rich background and uh she has the courage to accept uh, i mean she has the courage to reject this marriage offer that's presented to her because she knows that it's not a love match she knows she won't be happy despite the fact that everybody everybody is telling her that she should do it and it's her only option and uh and so given her time and place and her situation, she's a pretty brave character. Hmm. Fanny. So. so would you say the, in Metropolitan, if this applies at all, is Tom kind of like the Fanny of this group or is Audrey more the Fanny of this, of this group of characters? Hmm. 
Because the way you described her made me think more of Tom because yeah. he's kind of like the bit of the outsider and he's the one who has to choose between two different women, right? He starts yeah. out with Serena and then he ends up falling in love with Audrey. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that that's that makes sense. And uh, And then you can see it a little bit with Audrey as well, just in... Um, just in the fact that with Fanny, she is in love with Edmund. Despite the fact she keeps seeing him fall for these stupid women (laughs) Mm -hmm. and she watches it. And there's sort of that feeling a little bit with Audrey too, of like watching uh, Tom and others fall for the Serena that Serena's kind of similar to uh, the um, uh, Mary Crawford character who uh everybody keeps falling in love with uh hmm. despite her not being a very good person and yeah. uh, i mean they say in here well serena's actually a good person but <laughs> not <laughs> she's, for yeah she's basically a good person yeah yeah <laughs> um the um what did you think of audrey as a character because we've talked some a lot about the guys who are mm-hmm. pretty outsized and and you know out their character so they command a lot of attention but audrey is also kind of the main you know, the other main character in the movie. What do you think of her? I like her. I mean, I, I like when she says, did it ever occur to you that everything current in everything current in Jane Austen's day would look worse? So that because he's saying, oh, well, J- Jane Austen wouldn't like this when like and she says, no, did it ever occur to you that she would think it was even worse the way that we treat people in the way that I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I mean, she. She can be a little bit of a petty character, I think, Audrey. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, you feel her, I think, youth the most out of any of these um, yeah. these characters. And she feels very vulnerable as a yeah. character, right? From the beginning, I think the first scene she is, she coming into, I think it's her mom probably with a dress that doesn't quite fit, you know, and being like a distressed about the fact that the dress doesn't fit. Um Mm-hmm. Or something like that, and she and she seems like she is also very kind of nervous about the whole situation, and 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 unsure about many things the way that Tom is. So it, it makes sense, of course. You know, also it's a movie that they kind of like end up uh, getting together and connecting because they both seem like a little bit like they are a little bit more uncomfortable with the whole situation than the rest of them. I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. They're a little more analytical, a little more self aware uh, mm-hmm. than than some of the other characters. Uh, did you didn't you get that feeling of like these characters just need to get to work like they're just they you just feel them <laughs> being like just kind of bored and especially like the strip poker scene where it's just like they ran out of things to do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it 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 very it reminded me actually of of the last few movies we've discovered on this podcast. It reminded me of um, Senso in the sense that I think. With Stillman and and Lucina Visconti, the directors both have this kind of like upper class background to themselves, and and they have this relationship to aristocracy that it's kind of interesting and and not super, um, especially in American movies. I think in more modern movies as well in America, we people tend to kind of um, try to avoid that a little bit. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think even when someone's rich, they kind of like sometimes try to pretend like they're not when they're making movies, you know, that same idea of like, you yeah. know, oh, I, I did it on my own. I had to put hard work, but this with Stillman and you know, I guess Sofia Coppola is a little bit like that as well. They kind of like, 
it's the world they know and they and they want to talk about it and it's their experiences so they put story make stories about these young people who are rich but are also you know lost and 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 um and have their own struggles in you that's know true. that's a good comparison Sophia Coppola I wouldn't thought of that but yeah that's true and so yeah, I, and, and in that way, sorry, it no. also reminded me of Slacker because it's, uh, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of a movie about people hanging out and just talking about stuff. And it's not that different, you know, the, the content is different. But in Slacker, there was also these intellectual conversations a lot of the time. But the, but the environment is totally different. You know, instead of like people hanging around in a town, it's people in these like fancy apartments and, and the environment is different. But the idea of like just slacking or just like hanging out, like you were saying, is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that uh, that you really feel the importance and then also sort of lack of importance of friendships within this uh, within this movie that that they are the core of the they take up the the predominant amount of these people's time, but then also mm-hmm. they feel very disposable to them, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that is something that's true with when you're in your twenties, when you're young and they Mm -hmm. say, she says, when you were young, you meet people think that they are going to be important. And then we never see them again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I I think the social media has changed that a little bit because uh, you can meet somebody at a party and all of a sudden you're friending them on Facebook and you may literally never see them again, but now you have this connection and you see pictures of them and you see uh, Mm -hmm. that's that dynamic has kind of changed a little bit, I think. Yeah, it is a little different, um, but but yeah, but but I think it still applies, and especially at the time that this movie was made. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had actually another question about that, um, which is: Did you get the sense that this movie was taking place in 1990? Because because I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be that time or was it supposed to be earlier. So I had that question in my mind. I was wondering if it was supposed to be like the 70s or something like that. Um, well, the fashions feel very 80s to me. I guess that's Colors, true. The, the dresses, dresses especially. Yeah. yeah. The the big dresses. Um, and so I, I thought that it was 80s. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I, I think I that might when. be true. I wondered because all the, the topics of conversation are not very contemporary. You know, they're not talking about like stuff that's out in the early 90s necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, like how in Slacker they talk about Madonna, for example. And, and there isn't that quite here they're talking about things like jane austen or like this you know socialist ideas so it's more like uh you know older stuff so it could have mm-hmm. taken place at any time so i was wondering about that yeah yeah and there there is a certain timeless quality to the that this kind of uh like i said uh teenagers being bored <laughs> yeah kind of dynamic is always there also- yeah, and I guess it's also strong in the sense of like the aristocracy, you know, like kind of like they're out of time. They don't, you know, they are immune to kind of like how the world turns because they are rich, so they don't have to worry about that. Well, it's also kind of maybe part of it. Well, titled and untitled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is also, which is so fun. It's just so weird to hear people like, you know, in 1990 talking about titled aristocracy versus untitled. And, you know, of course, Von Boniker, the 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 villain is kind of, is, uh, aristo- you know, a titled mm-hmm. aristocrat. So that's part of the, the beef. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the big kind of questions uh, when you're young is kind of what am I going to, what am I going to do with my life? What is, what 
is going to uh, matter about my life. And, and I think as you get older, you start to realize that everybody just kind of does something and you're not going to have like some, I don't know, some super important thing that you're going to do. You just do it. And then everything else in your life kind of surrounds that. That's what's important. Mm. At least that's what I've found. And uh, mm-hmm. and he, they say the acid test is, do you take any pleasure in responding to the question? What do you do? Mm. Yeah. And that's also interesting because th- that the more, the most neurotic character, Charlie, he also has this, this idea that everyone's going to be a failure, right? Mm-hmm. That the aristocracy and all of them are destined to fail. And then they meet this older guy at a bar who's also a rich guy. And he talks about like how he feels like that's not true, that a lot of his friends are actually pretty successful, but Charlie won't believe it, you know? He's like, yeah, he must be lying to himself or something after, after hearing that, mm-hmm. which I also thought was interesting. Yeah, and he said, we can't just keep hanging with the same people every night for the rest of our lives. And he said, I don't know. I don't see why not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Should we get into our questions? Yes. Uh, so why do you think that this belongs in the Criterion uh, channel? I actually, this is one I, I own in the collection. Oh, great. So you had seen this movie before? Yes, I had seen it before. I mean, it's a Christmas movie. It's in the mm-hmm. watch Jane Austen. It, it ticks mm-hmm. a, checks a lot of my boxes. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, I think that Whit Stillman, like I was saying before, whatever you think of him, is kind of a unique voice for American movies, you know, and for movies in general. Um, there, there, I can't think of someone who's making movies quite like him. Maybe a little bit. Woody Allen, like I said, maybe Sofia Coppola, but his style is very specific. Um, and actually, it's something that I have struggled a little bit with him in the past, despite really enjoying his movies. I've always been curious and weary of how self-aware he is about his characters, you know? Mm-hmm. is he, Does he know that this is ridiculous what they're saying? But because I feel like he... Um, it goes back and forth. And honestly, he's one of the directors that I wish hadn't joined Twitter because when he, what he when he talks on Twitter, when he tweets, I'm thinking a lot of the time, you're just like one of your characters. I don't think you know that they're ridiculous. Oh, um, but yeah, so it's, so it's interesting. And that made me go back and forth a lot. But I think at the end of the day, both things are true. I think he knows, he's self-aware enough that he knows that he's being funny and he knows that his characters are ridiculous, but he also loves them because he is from that, uh environment and he grew up in that and i think he loves that as well as much as he can criticize it and that i think is in and of itself kind of interesting to me so i i definitely um i guess that's a winded question but um but that's my answer i I think that you make a lot of sense and i i i think that it's just one of those indie films that feels very criterion ish (laughs) it just fits in the collection yeah that too and also, and- you know, talk, we were talking about Slacker, and this came out the same year, or, you know, they premiered the same year in 1990. Um, and we were talking in that episode about the ways in which American indies evolved, and, and Metropolitan does feel a little bit like Slacker, although even more so, in my opinion, like a path that the indie cinema could have taken that it ended up not quite taking, you know, mm. with Stillman ended up being an outlier, and we, Link later yeah, became more representative and Tarantino even more so, you know, so mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, that's true. Well, where do you put this one on the pretentiousness scale? I, th- I think it's pretty pretentious. I yeah. think that 
Um, I mean, obviously, the characters are incredibly pretentious, that's for sure. And I think the movie, maybe it's a little less so because it's making fun of them so much. But I do think that in order to find this movie funny, you have to be connected to a certain kind of intellectualism and know a little bit about the people that they're talking about and about Jane Austen and literature and and literary criticism and, and, you know, the socialist work of Fourier, like they're talking about. I mean, I don't know too much about it, but I know enough that I've heard a little bit of it and I know what what it means to bring it up at a party a little bit, you know, so... That's why I find these things funny, but I, I can't imagine being someone who does not connect it to that and being like, what what the hell is this movie, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I think I would go maybe like up to a seven or an eight or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I had an eight. I just think the characters are so pretentious that it's hard to completely get away from the movie mm-hmm. being pretentious. And I forgot to mention, I do think there's something about watching this movie uh, post-COVID and just for me at least kind of missing entertaining and parties and mm-hmm. that kind of a little bit of sort of energy that you get from the awkwardness of trying to figure out what to say to strangers and, and meeting new people. And, uh, and I don't know, just miss parties. I miss hanging yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And I, and I do love, um, I have to say when I was younger, my parents did host a lot of like, uh, parties and cookouts in my house and their friends would have conversations that I when I was a kid I would be interested to hear you know what the grown-ups have to say because mm-hmm. they would talk about stuff not quite like this but like yeah they would talk about books and about stuff that was happening and politics and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and I was interested in that and even when they were fighting I kind of like enjoyed that as well so I, I mean I guess that's why we come on the Criterion Project and we talk about stuff um, and we enjoy doing that as well you know that kind of like loving conversation and even discussion or even fighting sometimes Mm, yeah well let's talk about our remake ideas and i do think it's hard harder to make a movie like this now because i feel like we don't as a society even in the upper echelon kind of the uhbs of current society we don't stick to sort of esoteric philosophical conversations <laughs> in theory. And I just feel like it would become so much more hostile, so much more quickly mm-hmm. now with the current political climate mm-hmm. uh, that you would just have a harder time with a group like this, not becoming uh, divided over things like Trumpism and, you know, and, and things like that. Um, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't become, they should, but, um, I don't know. I just feel like it would be hard to make that sort of a light, funny comedy because it's so divisive and so toxic Mm. and not as separated from reality. Yeah. You know what, what you're talking about reminds me of a, a play that I saw a couple years ago, right before COVID that played here in New York, that's called, um, Heroes of the Fourth Turning, which is a, it's a movie. It's a, I'm sorry, it's a play. I think it, it would be interested to hear what you have to say if you ever get around to reading it, Rachel, because it is about a group of intellectuals that get together kind of to celebrate, I think, a professor or something like that. Uh, but it's in rural Wyoming, I think. And so it is something that I hadn't quite seen before. Because, you know, when people make stories about like, you know, Wyoming or like the the mountain states or something, it's mostly like, especially rural stuff. It's kind of like 
you know, cowboys or like ranchers and things like that. So this was about intellectuals from that area. And that I found kind of interesting. I hadn't seen that before. And they had intellectual conversations about the stuff that you're talking about. You know, Trumpism kind of came in, came into the picture, but they were all conservatives. And and I think it was interesting to see it in New York when, you know, we have uh-huh. mostly liberals in, in the city and, and, um, and the perception of conservatives is can be limited, you know, and, and feel like they're all like this. I'm sure like probably conservatives think about liberals the same way as well. But, you know, people who make art and make movies and plays are usually more liberal. So it was interesting to see it from the other perspective. Um, and especially because the writer was someone who had grown up in that environment and then moved to New York. So he wasn't super conservative anymore but he still kind of like felt a little bit like that's where when he grew up so he had a sort of nostalgia for it it was an interesting complicated stuff and now that you hear you talk about it it reminds me kind of of this Whit Stillman stuff and this metropolitan mm-hmm. kind of a little bit seeing the things you don't like about it anymore but also feeling a part of it um, so that would be interesting mm-hmm. to see that play if it ever gets made into a yeah. movie or something that is interesting the one that I thought of I, it, there was a movie in 2017 called the party um Mm. which is feels very metropolitan-ish i didn't love the movie uh but uh it's been a while it'd be interesting to revisit it but um it's very similar you've got these uh pedantic types all gathering together for they're celebrating uh the christmas scott thomas gets this new job and they all come together and they all have their backstories and they're all Mm -hmm. trying to impress each other uh, and so Sally Potter wrote that and she directed it. So if you were going to have a remake of Metropolitan, I think she would be a good choice. My only problem with the party was I didn't think it was funny and I felt like it was actively trying to be funny in a way that Metropolitan mm. isn't. Mm. But it's it, it's similar enough that I would be curious to see what she would do with it, I guess. Yeah, and I and I also think you're right that the particular environment that we see in Metropolitan, I wonder if it exists anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think rich kids hang out wearing suits and in, in, in these apartments playing bridge the way that they did back then. I feel like it would be a little more Sofia Coppola-ish, you know, a, a kind of like a different style of hangout. But, yeah. um, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, it, it, and you'd have to involve social media in some regard which would mm-hmm. change the dynamic, I think, a bit as well. Yeah. So uh, do you have a director, I guess, that you would think would be, would be interesting, a director? Um, I don't know about director, but I guess my I guess my pitch was to to remake the movie. The play, yeah. I mean, the play, and yeah. which, by the way, it was written by a guy named, and I wanted to look this up because I think his name is Will Arbery. Yeah, so that's the writer mm-hmm. of the play. I'm not sure who would be a good director for that. I have to think about that. Um, mm. But um, but I think it could make a good movie potentially. Um, I definitely mm-hmm. would be interested to see what people have to say about it when if it ever gets a wider audience, you know, because the New York theater audience is very kind of insular. So if it yeah. was a movie, then more people will get to see it and there'll be more opinions about it. Yeah. Well, what are you going to suggest for our next episode? Yes, so next time we're going to be talking about the movie Throwdown from 2004. This is a Hong Kong action movie by a director that I know that a lot of people love, at least a lot of people on my, you know, Letterboxd and Twitter. 
um, love whose name is Johnny Toe, who has made a lot of movies. He's very prolific, um, but I actually haven't seen many of them. So I am taking advantage of the fact that Throwdown has come out with a Criterion edition recently and catch up with it and see what's up with all of that. Yeah, I I have not seen any. I've never heard of uh, this director, so I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I you know I love good martial martial arts films. So yeah. So this director Rachel it. actually um, makes a lot of kind of action gangster movies, but he also okay. makes a lot of romantic comedies. So oh. I think maybe um, you might want to look into that. <laughs> cool. Yeah, definitely. That sounds good. Well, let us know if you're listening what you think of Metropolitan. And we'd love to hear your thoughts and where you think it it deserves to be on the pretentiousness scale. <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, let mm-hmm. us know uh, on Twitter at Criterion Pod and uh, Conrad, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at Coco Hits and Y, and you can also also watch my uh, web series Wormholes, which is available on YouTube if you search Wormholes the series. Great. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes, so check that out. Also, make sure uh, if you are listening to the podcast on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. That really, really helps us out. And mm-hmm. if you uh, and if you could check out our Patreon, I'm still doing the uh, uh, AFI Passion series every week. Uh, we just had our the post on Dirty Dancing uh, up this week. So uh, if you want to read some more of my thoughts, uh, check out the Patreon. And uh, thanks so much, everybody. And we'll we'll talk again next uh, time. Talk and throw down. <laughs> yeah. See you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>